0: Welcome, as, as uh, Peter said, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church Paul, Am I loud or am I loud? Is it loud? Yeah, it's good. It keeps you awake. It keeps you awake. Uh, this morning, as Peter already said, we'll start a new series on called Kingdom Builders. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Luke with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one at the back, and if you don't have one at home, do take one home with you as a gift from the Vine Church. Um, also, we're doing this new series, and we've got a series plan, so you know what's going on over the next five weeks. And they're also at the welcome table if you want to get a plan to see what's happening each uh, week. So, we are doing a series on kingdom builders. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, Luke chapter 4, just to remind you I'm turning to. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are a builder, a kingdom builder. You might not think you're a builder, but you are. Some people are better at building than others. If it was a literal building, I would probably be the worst person in this room uh, to build a building. Uh, so we're going to go for a five-week series. This week I'm speaking, then Dave Gordon is speaking, next week on The Last In House. And then we're looking at Supernatural Living, Serve the King, Everyone Counts. It's about the principles. What makes a good builder of the kingdom? Have you ever built anything? Yeah? I remember... Some of the first things that I probably built, it was probably something like some Lego or some Scare Electric set. Do you remember the Scare Electric sets? They still have those around. You know, I remember those. But have you ever built anything? See, whether that's building a tower of Lego bricks, or building a house, or even fixing a car, that's building a car. Or building a picture. Building can be fun. It can be joyful. But it's also hard work time-consuming but it can be exciting and when you have finished building something there's something of an achievement in yourself isn't there there's a bit of a a smug about yourself you might not tell others about it but once you've like built something you feel oh yeah I'm pretty good at this I'm just about to embark on a building project I say just about it's going to take me about a year But many of you know uh, the the story of the the garden. We're trying to transform it. We're taking away some trees. And I've picked the shed I want to build. You know, I am going to build this shed. So we're going to have a shed at the back of the garden. Uh, One half is going to be basically, I'm going to convert it into an office. The second half is going to be a place where we keep the bikes and stuff like that. But the hardest thing isn't putting the shed together, because it all comes flat packed together. It's going to be to build the base for it. And building, I've given myself six months to a year, by the way, so don't think this is going to happen in the next couple of months. Uh, But building takes a long time. It can be time-consuming, but my hope and my prayer for myself is that when I look back at that that beautiful place, which many of you will probably come and enjoy as well, uh, it's going to be a sense of, yes, I did that. I did that, I might not tell you this, but inside I'll be smug about it, I did, I made that. But building can be funny, God is building his kingdom on earth, and it's a kingdom of life, it's a kingdom of peace, it's a kingdom of joy, hope, freedom, wholeness, healing, restoration, and love. And if we are believers, we all want those attributes of the kingdom in our lives, don't we? We all want to know the peace of God, the hope of God. We want to know freedom, we want to know wholeness. We want restoration in our lives, in different parts of our lives. We wouldn't say, oh, I don't want those, but we would want it. And these are the marks of the kingdom. I've got another question for you. What motivates your life? What motivates your life? Is it your family? Your friends? Your work, your holidays, earning money, or is it your God? What motivates your life? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What what motivates your life? You might be saying, well, what gets me out of bed in the morning is because I have to go to work for 9 o'clock in the morning. But what motivates you to work? Is it so that you can earn money, so you can provide for your family, so you can You can bless others with that money. Well, what's the root behind things that you do? What truly motivates your life? And I think sometimes we can say, yes, you know, as a good Christian, God motivates my life. God really does motivate my life. But really, does he motivate your life? Are you just going through the emotions of life? This is what Matthew 6, verse 33 says. I know we turn to Luke 4, but don't worry about it. We'll get there in a minute. For the pagans strive after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. The context of this verse, Jesus is talking a lot about worry. Matthew 6 is a lot about worry. You're worried about how am I going to do this? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I, I going to buy the food? How, how, this situation, how is it going to happen? It's all about worry. And he's saying the, 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 the medicine for that is seek first the kingdom of God, and then it will all be added to you. In the, in the Gospels, the word kingdom is mentioned in ESV Bible 126 times. I spent five hours on Friday finding them. I didn't really. That's a lie. Didn't really. I didn't really. Thank you to Google. But 126 times it, it mentions the word kingdom in the Gospels. And then even further and more throughout Paul's letters. See, Jesus' life was motivated, I believe, uh, it was rooted in, in this thing of having a vision and a heart to reach the lost. See, this is it. The kingdom builders, if you, want to be a building of a, if you want to build the kingdom of God, we've got to have, as individuals and as a corporate body, as a church, we've got to have a heart to reach and a vision to reach the lost. And this is the first one I want to speak on this morning, this part of the series. That Do we have a heart and a vision to reach the lost as a church and as a individuals? Turn with me, as I said, to Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Are you there? Give me a bit of time to get there. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, or is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled it up, the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, this is a passage that is from Isaiah 61. And this is where God comforts suffering Israel with a promise of restoration. Isaiah 61 is God saying, I am going to restore you. Israel will be taken captive. It will be enslaved. It will will be impoverished. But God will liberate and bless his people. This was a promise from God. This is a message of restoration, of deliverance. This is a message of good news through all humanity. So this is what happens. This is Jesus. He's in the synagogue in his hometown. He's in Nazareth, Nazareth. And he's handed a scroll. Did you know that in many times in synagogue that we read throughout scripture, as we understand scripture, often when they read from either the Torah, the first five books, or the prophets of the law, the, the whole of the synagogue would stand up for the reading of scripture. So let's all stand up. Play with me on this. Let's all stand up. So Jesus, he comes in, and he's been picked. He's been picked on this Sabbath day. He gets handed this scroll, and it's the the scroll of Isaiah. He had 66 chapters in Isaiah. He has 66 uh, different chapters to go through. I know there wasn't chapters in those days, but play with me. 66 different chapters. There's 1,291 verses in Isaiah. He gets handed a scroll. He opens it up and he starts reading this. And the uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He he puts the scroll back. He hands it to the attendants. He sits down. Everyone else sits down with him. And then everyone else's eyes are upon him. Everyone's eyes turn to him. We don't know what happens in that time in the synagogue after that. Where we sort of bit do. But they're all looking at him. He said those verses. And as he sat down... He says, guys, today this is fulfilled. That's what he's saying. Today is fulfilled. Everyone's eyes are turned to him. He sits down. He's handed the scroll over. And they have all like, whoa, this is amazing. Th- th- they're all amazed by it. This is the man that they've been waiting for. It's amazing. And it gets better because When Jesus announces this part of his mission, his hometown, people in that synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up, they respond pleasantly. Verse 22 says this. If you go down to verse 22 in your Bible, they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. And they all said, is this not Joseph's son? They can't believe it. Nazareth wasn't a massive place. They would be like, this is Joseph's son this is the one we've seen so many times. And now they're saying, now he's saying it's all been fulfilled. They're amazed by it. They're like, this is the guy, the whole of Israel, the whole of the Jewish community have been waiting for, and he's one of us. They're all amazed. They can't believe it. They marveled. They're like, he is Joseph's son. But then Jesus begins to apply Isaiah's prophecy beyond Israel. Beyond oppressed Israel. And this is what happens next. Verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up. Don't, don't, don't reenact this. They <laughs> rose up, drove him out. Because you have to drive me out. Of the town. And brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. So they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away so they went from absolute loving him because he was one of their own because they thought it's for us alone they thought it was for the people of the jewish community to absolute hating him to wanting him thrown off the cliff and what was that reason it wasn't what he said but it was because who he was saying it for and it wasn't just for the people of israel it was for all humanity And this is where it gets good news. Because if you go back to Isaiah 61, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's reading the scroll from Isaiah 61. But he doesn't read it all. If you notice, you go back to Isaiah 61, he doesn't read it all. He stops at a certain point. He stops before the line says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. The day of the vengeance of our God. Why does Jesus do this? Why is he purposely chosen to leave out? Because I think everything Jesus did was purposeful. Jesus didn't just walk up and say, oh, I'll just stop there, you know, who cares? No, he is really trying to show off his God, his Father, who he is. So everything he does is purposeful. So why does he choose to leave it out? Jesus not only omits any reference to judgment on Israel, Israel's enemies, Sorry, but it also reminds his listeners of God's compassion for the enemies. See, this is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to say that no longer there should be vengeance on our enemies. We should forgive those who enslaved us. We should move on. And now it's about everyone's. It's, it's about all humanity. Jesus has challenged his, his people's nationalism. They're no longer pleased with his words. But in fact, they wish to kill him. They have suffered enough from the Gentiles, and they do not want to hear about God's concern for outsiders. In this passage, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not just about peace. It's not just about joy, hope, and love, all those nice things we all want, but it's also about forgiveness. It's about restoration. It's about all humanity. It's about loving those who are different from them. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted it just for themselves. It took them. That's why they changed from absolutely loving Jesus. He was sitting there. Well, you know, he's not literally. Well, he is literally. Well, anyway. uh, You know what I mean. But he he moved from. They moved from loving him. Saying he's one of our own. He's he's, he's, he's us. He's us. To absolute hating him. And wanting to push him off the cliff. Not because entirely because of the words he said. But who it was for. And this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, you've got to love those that are different from you. We've got to love the outsiders. Jesus is not just concerned for those in his hometown, but he's concerned for all humanity. And this is what the kingdom is about. See, if if, if you're a Christian here, Christ follower, surely that means is to live like Jesus. Therefore, one of the marks of a Christian is to have a heart and a vision for the outsider. It, it's to have a heart and a vision for the lost, for the poor, for those that are different for us, because this is what Jesus was saying in this passage. See, we just, you know, take stop for a moment and think about uh, some stories we find in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what Jesus has did. You know, Jesus, he, he, went, to, uh, um, he went to the woman at the well, You know, this is the lady that had multiple husbands. And he, you know, he loved her. He went to the adulterous woman they wanted to stone. And he said to them, you know, the first one to throw the stone is the first one without any sin. These are all outsiders. You know, you think of um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He stole money. No one liked him. He was a fellow Jew, but no one liked him because he stole money. See, we throughout the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we get story after story after story that the good news is for people that are different from us as well. It's different. I thought that Jesus might live the quiet, peaceful life at home with his mum and dad in Nazareth. But no. He was a man that went out and be with the people that were different from him. If we are truly Christians, there has to be something different about us. The world would say, "I will be with, I will work with, I will live with people that are similar, that are-minded uh, that, 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 that are like-minded to me." And it's very easy to think, I'll just hang around with those people because we're all the same. You know, we have the same interests. We have the same interests. And I get that on one hand. But the message of Jesus should cause us to move to go and be with people that are different for us. Because this is what Jesus is tackling in Luke 4 as he quotes Isaiah 61. And I want to ask you another question. Are you willing to go and be with those that are different from you? For this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christ follower, to have a heart and a vision for the lost. This is what it means to be building the kingdom of God, to be builders of the kingdom of God. Over this last week, I've had a few opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, Last Sunday at West Point, we went and got some fish and chips. It's come a bit of an annual thing. We get chips on the last evening because no one wants to wash up and it's just easier. So we go out and get some fish and chips, um, which usually uh, myself and Becky go and get. um, We don't pay for everyone. We're not that kind. Well, But we go and go and get it. So we go to this fish and chip shop. We go to a different one this time because we go and get it at lunchtime because the one we usually go to doesn't open at lunchtime. So we go to this fish and chip shop. There's this guy in there. And as we we start to talk to him because we've got a big order, so it's going to take a long time, took 30 minutes altogether. And he, he has these words on the side of his fish and chip shop. He doesn't own the fish and chip shop, uh, we found out later, but he has his words, and it's Arabic. So I say to him, you know, do you know what that actually says? And he says, no, I don't have a clue, actually. It's the guy who owns it's put it there, but it's something about Allah. So I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm I'm originally from Turkey, but I've actually lived in Exeter, I think, for 24, 25 years, um, around that figure anyway. It was 20-something years he's lived in Exeter for. He said, I wish I never came to England. I wish I stayed in, um, in Istanbul. So I said, like, oh, okay, so you're from Turkey. And we started talking. And he, said, he said that he was, he was a Muslim. I said, well, oh, apparently 90, roughly 98%, they say, in Turkey are Muslims. And I said, oh, do you go to the mosque? Oh, I don't go to the mosque. I said, how many people go to the mosque in Turkey? And he says about, probably about 40% of people actually do go to the mosque uh, in t- or are practicing um, Muslims. But majority of people in Turkey, 98% would say they're Muslims, but only about 40% are practicing. And he would say, I am one of those. I said, do you believe in God? He goes, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And, and, and then I started talking about actually we're from, a, we're from poor, we're, we're at a Christian camp. But it, it was an opportunity. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't say, you know, he changed his life around. But it was an opportunity just to talk to someone saying, this is what I believe. What do you believe? Where are you at in your life? And then a couple of days passed. I think it was Tuesday, Tuesday morning. We came back from West Point Monday. Had no food in the house. Tuesday early morning, or it could be Tuesday evening. I can't remember. Anyway, sometime on Tuesday, we go to Lidl. We're buying our food. We're, in the ti- we're, in, we're waiting in the uh, conveyor about Two people in front of us, this guy, he can't, uh, he tries to pay for his food with his debit or credit card. And he, he's been denied twice. And you know, it's massive queue, one person in front of us, and then it was him, massive queue, and he's like, oh, well, I don't know why it's not working, or you know, I thought I had money in it, someone must have spent my money, saying all these things, and then he said, I'll go out, and I'll go and try and find some money in the, in the, in the car, and it was about, I don't know, £6.70 or something like that, it wasn't a lot of money, he just said bread and milk, and, and so he went out, and then I said to the attendant, I'll pay for it, I'll do it for him. Uh, and she goes, no, no, you're sure, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. And I said, no, I'll go, I'll pay for it. So I went and paid for it, and then he came back in, and the, the tech out person came and said, this guy's just paid for your shopping. And he was amazed by it. You know, six, I can't remember exactly. it was six pounds something. It wasn't a lot of money. And he was just absolutely amazed by it. The problem was, I was here ready to pay for it, and he, the, 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 um, the checkout lady was the other side, the, sh- the other side, like, Giving it. So we were about 10 meters away from each other, so I didn't really get an opportunity to say why I paid for it. But he was utterly amazed by it, saying, you know, wh- why did you do this? You know, uh, and, and people could hear, and everyone could hear what was going on, because there were people in the queue. And, and they were like, they were just, even the checkout lady was like, gobsmack, you know, you don't have to do that, you know, it's just uncommon. But, but these were opportunities. I know that, you know, there could have been better opportunities. I could have done more. I could have done more. But it's a start. It's a start. It's a start. And and yesterday, when we were at the hub, you know, if I had to describe it in one word, it's awesome what's going on there. So many kids and their parents coming in and through those doors. Opportunities, conversations, uh, things that God is doing with us. You know, we are doing great things as a church. It's easy to think what's going on. But just, you should have gone to the hub yesterday. You want to be around people to tell them about Jesus? You know, go to the Hub, go to Lidl, go to your fish and chip shop. You know, but as a church and also as an individual, we should have a heart and a vision for loss. That's what makes a kingdom builder, to go out to people that are different from you. And talking about the Hub stuff, you know, it was a year ago today, not today, so it was a year ago at West Point, we... We, we got a prophetic word from someone from Bristol City, to gather a tribe from over the bridge. And in the last year, God has opened up doors to take over that premises and then uh, to rent that premises and, and then uh, to do other things out of that place. And if, if you respond and be obedient to what God is doing in your life, he blesses it. And you see the fruit of that. You know, and over a year, you know, great things have happened, and we we trust in God, and next year, great things will happen. As you do what God has called you to do in your life, and you you love the lost and love the poor. We are all called to live in the kingdom and live out the kingdom. I, I think it's, firstly, we're called to live in the kingdom. I think the most important thing I could say about the kingdom of God that would help people to make sense of what the kingdom means is that it's God's reign. It's not a realm or a people, but in many ways it's the kingdom creates realm and it creates people. But the kingdom of God is God's reign on earth. It's things in us. It's not something physical or in many ways or tangible. You know, Hebrews 14 verse 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that old song? Some of you might know it. You know, I'm not going to sing it, but there's an old song that talks about that. I'm not a very good singer. So the kingdom is not a physical or tangible thing you can see. And that's why sometimes it's so hard to measure it. It's so hard to, uh, to do things out of it. But the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. It's about love. It's about life. It's about forgiveness from Isaiah we read. Uh, sorry, from Luke 4. And as a believers, this is given to us for our blessing. And we can richly enjoy All these blessings of hope, of peace, of life, of joy. We can richly enjoy this. And that is so good. We're called to live in the kingdom. You're called to have the traits of the kingdom of God. The peace of God, the joy of God, the life of God, the love of God, the hope of God, the righteousness. We're called to have the traits of the kingdom of God living in us. But then we're called to live it out. And when these things come together, the the living in it and the living out, something beautiful happens. Imagine if I gave you a million pounds right now. But the thing is, you don't have any friends. You don't have any family. You don't really know anyone. All you did was have a million pounds. I promise you, well, I don't promise you, I pretty much guarantee you that it will soon be like, well, it's just a million pounds. It will be nothing to you. Because you don't have people to share it with. If you had a million pounds, maybe I'm wrong, but, but if you had a million pounds and you had people to share it with, that million pounds would feel so much be- better. I'm not giving anyone a million pounds, by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> There's five pounds um, from the church. But, the, um, but when we've got something, it feels so much better if we can share it with others. And the kingdom that we should live, live in us, we should be able to live it out. We should share it with others. We shouldn't be like, let's just keep it for ourselves. You know, I want all this peace and hope and life and joy, all these nicey stuff. But actually, the kingdom should be where well, I live in it and I live it out to give it to other people. To go out to places like the fish and chip shop and Lidl and look for opportunities to be down, reaching and loving and have a vision for the lost. See, this is where it goes. The kingdom causes you to go out your way. It causes you to be in a shop and be late for stuff. It causes you to to, to stop and think, well, what should I do in this situation? The kingdom causes you, you, in many ways, it's a godly distraction in your life. It is a godly distraction. If you think you can live your life and just think, oh, you know, I just hope this happens, or I'll put the kingdom in this box of my life. But the kingdom of God will cause you to, to be distracted in your life. To say that, you know, I'm down little, but I need to speak to this person, so, oh, no, I'm going to be, you know, um, I'm not encouraging being late for work, but, you know, you know I'm going to be late, you know, five minutes late home or something like that. You've got to be willing to be distracted, because otherwise you'll just think, oh, I can't, I've got time for that today, or I haven't got this for today. The kingdom causes you to go out your way. Bonhoeffer said this, which is is a fantastic uh, quote. He said this, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Does your life make someone else who doesn't yet believe in Jesus question their belief in God? We're called to live it out. Your friends, your family, they should see something different in us. If they don't see something different in us, I will question, are we Christians? I want to conclude with this. These are the words of Jesus. Pick up your cross. We could debate all day by what this means, but I believe it means very simple. Follow Jesus, and there is abundance of blessing and richness, but there is sacrifice. There is sacrifice. And if there is no cost, there is no sacrifice. If there is no cost, there is no sacrifice. And Jesus' life was defined by a sacrifice, a sacrifice on a cross. He, the biggest sacrifice anyone could do in this room is to die for another human being. That is your biggest sacrifice. To, and Jesus... His life was defined. Everything it rooted to, everything it came up to was this moment upon the cross where he died and he resurrected for each one of us. And with the kingdom of God, there should be, uh, there should be an introduction to King Jesus. When we talk about the kingdom, we've got to talk about the king of the kingdom. So we, have, we, we live and live out this kingdom, but we should say, actually, I want to tell you about this Jesus. He is everything to me he's changed my life this is the reason my existence this is the reason for my purpose can i have an opportunity to tell you why the uh, every single one of us in this room are influencers you are influencer today you are if i chat to you you're going to influence me did you know that if you chat to me after service we've chat to me right you've influenced me hopefully for the positive but sometimes negatively you've influenced me but And like vice versa, right? But we are all influences. When you go back home to your family, when you go to your friends, your workplaces, when we go to our neighbors, we will influence people. What are you going to do with this influence? Uh, Are you going to have a heart and a vision to reach the lost? Are you going to make a difference? You know, we're not called to to change the world. That was Jesus' job. Jesus has done that. He's, He's died and resurrected. But we're called to change our world. And I think there's a massive difference. We're not called to be celebrities. That's Justin Bieber. But we're called to change our world and influence the people. I don't think, like, you know, with many opportunities, many opportunities, I believe, that we can influence people. We can encourage people. We can love people. We can share the kingdom. And this is what it means to be a kingdom builder, is to have a vision and a heart for the lot. And you might say, well, I don't feel that vision and heart. You know, I don't feel it burning in me. I don't feel it, you know, it's great for you, Tim. You're young, you're, you know, you're snappy. You've got, you've got the whole world, at your oyster in many ways. And, and, you know, that's true. I am young, but you're all young in many ways. You know, you should have a vision and heart. <laughs> yeah, you're all young. Dave Gawler always tells me, you know, I might be getting old, but I'm young inside. That's what he always tells me. i never forget that. But, the, um, you know, we can all have a vision, heart to reach lost. It's going to be different. You know, we've got different callings, but we can have the heart. And if you don't feel like you have it, I, w- I would encourage you, pray to God to give you that heart and vision for the lost. Pray to God. Say, God, can you mold in me a heart for, for the lost, for people that are different from me? Can you mold that in me? And then, God, I want opportunities. Amen. Because it's going to take a bit of, you know, stepping out in faith. Opportunities. And you might be like me, that you go into a fish and chip shop. and I didn't, you know, didn't do anything special. You know, or going into Lidl. And I didn't really get an opportunity to tell him why I did it. But there is always starts. And that's what it's about. It's doing things that God's called you to do and let God grow it. Amen. Can I pray for us as a church and people? Should we stand? Father God, I thank you for us. I thank you that we are in this room, all influences. We influence each other. We influence our workplaces. We influence this. And I pray would influence for the kingdom of God. That we would all have a heart and a vision for the lost. I pray as a church, the Vine Church Paul, that we would as a church have a heart and a vision to reach the lost. To go to the outsiders. To go f- to people out, uh, that are different to us. Father God, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that we would live in the kingdom. That we would all know the peace, the joy, the hope, the life, the forgiveness, the restoration that you promise us. But as we know it in us, in us Father God, in our very being, that we would live it out in our every day. And that we as a church will be kingdom builders. In Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. We're going to sing a song to follow on from this. Dave Gordon is going to speak next week on The Last in House. That we should have a a kingdom builder has a uh, a heart for generations to come, past themselves. Uh, So do come back for next week as well.